Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, presented by Game On Wisconsin. Jamal Williams, I consider him a friend. It's not a rivalry if the other team doesn't win. Now, in the Game On Wisconsin studios, here's your host, Jacob Westendorf. Live in the Game On Wisconsin studios, indeed, this is the Pick 6 Podcast brought to you by our friends at Our Tech Ventures. And the goal at Our Tech Ventures is to collaborate closely with founders throughout all the investment and fundraising stages, turning their visions into successful companies since 2020. Our Tech Ventures has helped turn great ideas into profitable businesses that make an impact on industries, communities, and beyond. Visit OurTechVentures.com for more information. Live here after a big quote-unquote rivalry win against the Chicago Bears. And anybody who has listened to this show or anything I've done over the last eh, five years or so knows exactly how I feel about that quote-unquote rivalry. Not a rivalry. Bears have won all, what, two, one or two games in the last five years. It is incredible the dominance that this team has. I had a friend of mine today, my first day back at work, uh, since Sunday's game saying, I know you were nervous. And I said, I'm never nervous against that team because until they actually win, against Green Bay, I'm not going to believe it's actually going to happen. That was true a couple years ago when it was 20 to nothing, 23 to 10, you know, just all those different scores that happened throughout that course of the night. But I am your host tonight. I'm Jacob Westendorf, as I always am, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Westendorf, joined by the NFL associate editor, Ian Kenyon of Bleacher Report. Ian, how's it going, man? It's been a minute. It's going great. Thanks for having me. It's been long overdue. Really appreciate you having me on. Yes, long overdue indeed. We've known each other via Twitter for several years now and just never synced up for one of these things for one reason or another. So the way I introduced you last week on the show with a mutual friend, Peter Bukowski, was the only person I know that is a bigger Metallica fan than yours truly. So before we jump into our Packers topics tonight, I got to ask you, best Metallica song, best Metallica album? Best Metallica song is one. Best Metallica album is Ride the Lightning. Yeah, Ride the Lightning is is definitely a popular answer on that. That would be my choice as well. I do have an affinity for the Black album. It was uh, it was out the year I was born. Sad but True, Enter Sandman. Those are some iconic songs from them. One I can tell you, it hit different for me when I saw them live. Like there are bands that have their you know, their songs that play better in concert than they do on the album. And one's a great song on the album, but it's an even better song in person, in my opinion. Just all the after effects and stuff that they did with it was was incredible. So yeah, the military stuff they do with it with the um the bangs and like the the effects with all all the bombs and stuff. It's amazing. And those bombs do not affect me nearly as much anymore because you are also the one who introduced me to erasers, which are earplugs that you can put in uh, and it doesn't kill the sound quality. So it's still loud. It's still obnoxious. It's still incredible, but your ears aren't torched the very next day. So for someone like me who, when I'm at a concert, I'm in the pit and I'm at the front. So I'm right by those speakers. My hearing is gone if I don't have those. So I very much appreciate finding those before I turned 30. 
let's jump in here. We've got the Green Bay Packers taking on the Baltimore Ravens this week, coming off of, like I mentioned, a big win over the Bears. They are now 10-3, and three, and they are sitting atop of the entire NFL. They are tied for the best record in the NFL, but thanks to a couple of big wins, one against L.A., against the Rams, and, of course, the Thursday night in Arizona beating the Cardinals, they now have the number one seed if the playoffs were to begin today. Now, they don't. Green Bay takes care of business these next four games. The road to the Super Bowl comes through Lambeau Field. They don't. Uh, the road to the Super Bowl probably goes through Tampa Bay. If you have not seen their schedule down the stretch, it is paper soft. So check that out. Green Bay, you need to win the rest of your games. One of the reasons the Packers are in this situation is because of Rasul Douglas. And it is just incredible to me. That guy was a consolation prize. Somebody that they the signing was announced the day that they were in supposedly the mix for Stephon Gilmore. Stephon Gilmore gets traded to the Carolina Panthers, does not sign with the Packers, and minutes after, Green Bay announces the signing of Rasul Douglas. The comments under that tweet are about as predictable as you could have imagined at that time, and I would be lying if I said I wasn't one of those people with similar feelings. The cornerback situation across from Jair Alexander at the time was rookie Eric Stokes, Kevin King, who we know what he is at this point, and a lot of really unknown to to poor players after that. Since he's come in, two interceptions, uh, two really big interceptions, I should say, two pick sixes, and then a game-sealing interception against the Arizona Cardinals. So he's got three since coming to Green Bay here. And he's really been, honestly, it feels to me like he makes a splash play a week, whether it's an interception, whether it's a big play in the running game. He looks like a guy that, like, Green Bay should be having extension conversations with or something. He's still young. You could pair him across from Alexander if you could do something like that. Now we'll talk about their salary situation here in a minute as to why they maybe won't be able to do that. But just tell me a little bit about his acquisition, your feelings at the time, and just what a boon he's been for this defense. Yeah, so I didn't expect him to be this good. And he's absolutely not Stefan Gilmore. Like Stefan Gilmore would still be the better acquisition there, but his play has erased any issue with not getting Stefan Gilmore. Like he has been incredible for the last six weeks or so. And he's, you know, a third round pick in 2017. We're not talking about, you know, some undrafted free agent guy. Like he's clearly got talent. He's on his sixth NFL team, but he's got talent and it's just finally showing up. And he's got, you know, he's playing approximately 90% of snaps for Green Bay. He's got these back-to-back games with pick sixes. The interceptions are probably a bit fluky, but you couldn't ask for better play, even pick sixes aside from a guy who started the year on the practice squad. Um, I don't think they should expect, you know, this level of production moving forward into the playoffs, but what they've gotten so far is a stud defender and someone that they really, they really found a diamond in the rough here. And I think it's been huge for them because he and Shannon Sullivan are kind of phasing Kevin King out of his role, which is a huge thing for them to be able to, you know, not have Kevin King out there matching up against top receivers. Yeah. And you mentioned that, you know, maybe not this level of production across from Jair Alexander, if, and when he's able to return. But if we just go back 12 months ago at this time, last December, Green Bay's trotting out Jair Alexander. Awesome. Kevin King below average and Shannon Sullivan didn't have that good of a season last year either. Now they have an opportunity to go into the playoffs with Alexander and really all you're asking for across from him is just average NFL cornerback play 
on most defenses and what they've gotten from Douglas and also rookie Eric Stokes. I know he had a rough moment. He's had his rough moments, but really a rough one a couple weeks ago against Minnesota. But Justin Jefferson's going to do that to almost any NFL corner that he's matched up against. I could not be more excited personally for how this defense can look if they can get Alexander back. And really, I don't think they can win a championship on defense without Alexander, but the play of Douglas, the play of Stokes, and like you mentioned, Sullivan phasing out Kevin King gives me at least some hope that they'd be able to run with some of these teams. If you'd have told me at the beginning of the season that Jair Alexander is going to miss two months starting October, and then they're going to play Cincinnati and then Minnesota and Seattle with those receivers and the Rams, I'd have told you they're in a lot of trouble and they haven't been. They're 10 and three. And the only games they've lost are one game against the chiefs where they didn't have too many problems with that offense. And then one game against Minnesota where really one play goes the other way. Green Bay could certainly win that game. Any other thoughts before we move up? Yeah. I mean, as cornerback suddenly one of their biggest strengths, I mean, when Jair returns and they get Henry black off the field, like this might be like one of their strongest units offense or defense to have Jair Stokes, um, Douglas and Sullivan. It's yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. And then not only that, like defense, especially in today's NFL, Tom Brady kind of talked about this in the off season where he kind of has a, a circle on the other team of who's the guy I can get, which is basically a nice way of saying who sucks. And Henry black is the guy that is certainly being circled. Matt Nagy had him circled on, on Sunday night and the touchdown that they got to a bird on the long slant play. That was a play. Uh, they ran a Texas route, just like Minnesota did out of the backfield. They hit him blacks flat footed and it's off to the races. And they ran something similar a couple of weeks ago when Minnesota did with Justin Jefferson. So Henry black is the guy who is uh, struggling a bit. And like you mentioned, if they get Alexander back, then you can give that role to Shannon Sullivan. You can give it to Stowe. I mean, they have a lot of options that they can pursue if that is uh, the route that they're able to go. Now, Alexander, uh, I should mention, has the caveat of if he comes back, not not when. Um, unfortunately, Matt LaFleur will not confirm that Alexander's coming back. And just because he's been designated to return to practice doesn't mean he's going to play. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see how it goes with Bakhtiari and Zadarius Smith as well. Bakhtiari, according to Matt LaFleur, they were hopeful to get him on the practice field this week. And he ignored a question by Bill Huber when asked whether Zadarius Smith would be back this week. So since it was the players off day, this is where they do interviews and different shows and stuff like that. And every Tuesday for the last almost two full seasons now is Aaron Rodgers Tuesday on the Pat McAfee show. And he was talking today. Uh, they kind of went through during the broadcast on Sunday night, how Brian Gutekunst and Rodgers and how they feel like this relationship is in a good place. And Collinsworth and Michaels both said they sounded surprised by hearing that. Pat McAfee was kind of asking him how he feels. He said there's been good communication with Brian. Brian Gutekunst, of course, who he's talking about, where calling him by his first name feels like a long way from that first press conference where he was asked if they if he wanted him fired and if or what their relationship was like. And his response was no professional. One word answers to answer each of those questions. Later then, he's asked, how much do you love being a Green Bay Packer right now? And Rogers kind of smiles and says, I just love playing ball, man. So it's December. I know it's a long way away and fans are saying, just enjoy the season. And I understand that, but there is an elephant in the room when it comes to, is this the lat? Like 
January 2nd against the Vikings could be his last regular season home game under center for the Packers. What are your thoughts on this situation as a whole? How much has it changed since we found out everything in April? My thoughts on this change week to week, month to month, day to day. But the big thing here is no one knows what Aaron Rodgers is thinking. He's so calculated in everything he says, everything he does. Even that answer today where he said, um, you know, I just like to play ball. That's him, you know, dancing around the subject because he doesn't want to give a clear answer. And my thought is I I don't think we're going to know what he wants until we know what the roster is going to look like in February and March. Once they get the cap situation figured out and they're able to have conversations about extensions, then we'll see a little bit more what Rogers' future is going to be. I think Rogers wants some control. I think Rogers wants to be in a place where he can win in 2022. 2023, 2024. And he's, he doesn't want to be stuck with a roster where, you know, they're going to go through a rebuild or anything like that, or just be retooling. Um, and Green Bay's in a lot of trouble in that sense. So I'm a little bit pessimistic in the sense that Green Bay is going to be in a lot of trouble with the cap situation. And I don't know how they retain Rodgers and Devontae. And I could see that, you know, rubbing him the wrong way if they say we can't give you an extension and give Devontae an extension and then Rodgers, you know, forces his way out. So it might be all roses right now. They might win a Super Bowl, but I'm a little skeptical that it'll re- it'll continue to be that way in March, but I sure hope it does. Um, there's definitely – avenues where maybe they win a Super Bowl. Rogers says, I just want to be a Packer for the rest of my life. Let's let's get this done. But there's been so much over the last year that I can't say, you know, this is absolutely going to be the case. Yeah. And that's the part where you mentioned like him talking about sunshine and rainbows during the interview. But at the same time, at this time last year, if we were having this conversation, I was even like, I would kind of chuckle when anybody would say he's clearly not happy, blah, blah, because clearly it seemed like on the surface he was and having the best season of his career potentially to date and just smiling and just talking about how he's living in the moment and not worried about all that. But clearly there was an issue. And I don't know how you feel about this necessarily. I personally believe that there are some grievances he have has from Ted Thompson's era uh, of being the general manager, but I really do. I think that this almost all extends from the draft select, not the person, but the selection of a quarterback. And he always refers to Jordan Love as my replacement. And I think that's the way he feels that they were being looked at throughout the course of the offseason. So I'm curious to see how it all goes. Uh, I do think that it's possible that Rodgers, if they win a Super Bowl, just says, forget it. I'm going to go Hollywood and hang out there with my fiance and retire. Certainly think that is on the table. He even talked about mm-hmm. thinking about retirement during this off season where that's not something he wanted to do, but if it wasn't going to work out the way that he wanted to, then he could have done that. Something I will say about this too. And I think it was you who pointed this out is there is some good that can come out of this situation for the Packers as a whole, because the way green Bay does things they're they're very old fashioned, which is good in some respects. Uh, but there's also some weaknesses to that. Right. And treating Aaron Rodgers is not just, 
any other player. You know, you can't treat your star like he's just a number on a spreadsheet because it doesn't work that way. You know, Rodgers is one of the best players in the history of this franchise. And clearly some of his input, I think, is something that could be valued in this situation. I know everybody chuckled about why the hell do they need Randall Cobb? Well, when Cobb has played, he's been their second best wide receiver this season. That's not nothing. And he's somebody that I think can make an impact in the playoffs if and when he's able to return. Do you think that that's a possibility that the situation is something that has legitimately changed this Packers organization, or are they just trying to make it work for one more year and then say, hit the bricks? I think that they have become, have become amenable to listening to Rogers on minor things like, you know, Randall Cobb, Randall Cobb was not a huge acquisition. I don't think that they'd go out and trade their first round pick off of what Aaron Rodgers says, but I could totally see, you know, them coming to him and saying, Hey, do you like Alan Lazard? Do we need to, you know, resign him for next year? Cause that's a minor thing that it's, it's those minor things like the Jake Kumaro one, for instance, like if, if something as minor as that can satisfy your franchise quarterback, you just do it. I mean, it's not like you're trading your first round pick. It's not like you're giving out a $20 million contract. If you can give him a voice in the room, I think that's all he wants. Yeah. And it was the difference at that point. I know, again, that's a kind of a chuckle point. And even for me, that's like really Jake Kumaro, but the difference between Jake Kumaro and Malik Taylor, which is the guy they kept is what exactly there's not, a whole exactly. lot there and not a whole lot there. And just by doing that, you're satisfying your franchise quarterback, making him feel like he's being listened to just something minor like that. I think they've become amenable to just through this process with Randall Cobb, but, and I think they will continue to do so in 2022. The issue is that they have really significant situations that they need to iron out next year that, I don't know that Rodgers can have the input on to fix the team. Yeah. And that could be, that could be the issue is I've even talked about it is what happens if let's say they figure it all out. They sign Adams, they sign Rodgers, which like you said, appears difficult at minimum to do, but then it's like, Hey, Aaron, in order to do this, we got to cut Randall. You know, are they going to be, is he going to now be okay with the fact that they have to cut his best friend again? and let him walk or, or is it going to be one of those things where, Hey, we've got to like, we've got to cut Randall and we're going to offer him the vet minimum. Does Cobb feel insulted by that? Would some team be willing to offer him more money than that? I certainly think that's possible. The Houston Texans just paid him $6 million. That wasn't that long ago. Somebody could offer him $3 million, a couple million bucks to play. And that's more than the vet minimum. And it's more for the name value of the player as well. So that is the interesting, one of the very many interesting parts of this Rogers situation is how that all plays out as well. Yeah. And you mentioned the elephant in the room earlier. It's Jordan love. I mean, Rogers is not going to be able to dictate how good views Jordan love. If they view Jordan love as Rogers successor, I don't think that they move Jordan love and Rogers needs to figure out if he's okay with that. You know, I, is he going to just stick around with Jordan love behind him for, two, three more years. I don't know if he will. And I'm not sure if he will either. I will say on that front, the part that gets interesting is if they extend Rogers and they offered him an extension this off season. So that's something I 
I like to point out to everybody. And that's not something they did of just saying, okay, we'll do this because if he accepts it, they weren't going to be like, well, never mind. We were just kidding. They did that planning on a few different things. So if you take Mark Murphy's word for it, where they say they're committed to Rogers for this season and beyond, which is all the phrasing they used uh, all offseason, Brian Gutekunst as well. If that's the case, if you sign Rogers to an extension, their contracts are going to run out either at the same time or Rogers, maybe one more year after the fact. So that's where things get interesting on that front as well. To me, this is the way I would do it. I'm not the general manager. I'm not the head coach. I'm not the owner. Well, I am an owner, I guess, by, by the silly phrasing that they use there, but I don't run the team. I don't do anything with that. My thought is if Aaron Rodgers says he wants to be your quarterback, then you figure out a way to make that work. Now, maybe that requires some concessions on Rogers part. Like you mentioned, does he do the Drew Brees thing? Does he do the Tom Brady thing where he takes a, a lower amount of salary and a lower cap hit to help keep some of these guys around? He's been reluctant or unwilling to do that in the past. So that's something I think Rogers has said, it's not about the money, but at the same time, he's also a pretty high ranking member in the NFL PA and has talked about his state of the negotiating table. And it's hard to advocate for players and hiring their salaries and getting more of a piece of the pie when you yourself are taking less money and, and in theory, at least putting it back in the owner's pocket. So that's for March. That's for another day, but I am interested to see how this goes. And it's fascinating. Every time he talks, like you mentioned, he's incredibly calculated. And I also think Aaron's not stupid. Uh, that's, that's the other part where I think the entire time his best chance to win has been in green Bay. Will that be the same after this year? I think that's where things get interesting. Yeah. And I completely agree with you that, you know, if Aaron Rodgers wants to be the quarterback, you do everything you can to make it work. Like you, you trade Jordan Love, you figure out, you know, a contract with void years, you make it work. You just say, Aaron, you are our guy for the next three to four years. We want to go win multiple Super Bowls. We like Jordan Love is not a caliber of prospect to throw away a Super Bowl window with Aaron Rodgers. Nope. It's just not. So you make it work. You trade Jordan Love, make him happy. You say, what do you need contractually? And how can we structure this in a way that we're not messing up our roster? And you just get it done. Yeah, I'm with you. And that was my biggest beef with the Jordan Love selection the night of the draft. I even went on any airwave that was willing to listen to me and said, my beef isn't with that they took a quarterback. I, you know, I'm kind of in the spot of I don't care that much about Aaron Rodgers' feelings in that situation because Aaron's was in the same situation 15 years prior. So as far as his feelings go, I'm not worried about that. What I was worried about was, like you said, I don't know what your feelings were on love coming out of the draft, but I had him as a I rank my prospects in each round as an A pick, a B pick, or a C pick at each position. So if an A edge rusher is available and a B wide receiver is available. For example, my philosophy is take the a player by Jordan love is a C player. So figure out the math there. That was my biggest beef with that. And he's done nothing to quell my issues on that. Um, I'm not saying that he's garbage. I'm not saying he'll never be good, but the Kansas city game, no matter what you want to say, whatever green and gold colored colored glasses you want to throw on that was D plus quarterback play. At best. And I know there wasn't a whole lot of help around him, but some of that was on him as well. And you're talking about, like you mentioned with Aaron Rodgers, I talked about it this off season, hanging in the balance with Rodgers' holdout was the team with Aaron can win a Super Bowl. 
a team with Jordan Love, their ceiling is 10 and 7, 11 and 6, and a first round playoff exit. That's a massive difference. And yeah. I don't think that difference gets any more so because next year, like you mentioned, the roster is not going to be as strong as it is this year. So Love is going to have to make things work with a less talented roster than he would have had on his plate this particular year. So that's for March. That's for April. Hopefully the Packers have a fifth trophy in their case before we have to start worrying about that. Cause frankly, if they do win the Super Bowl, it's just not going to sting as much if they have to trade Aaron Rodgers. Whereas coming off a loss to the Bucks, and that was his last game. I'm sure you remember Favre's last game against the Giants. Like that's what we're looking at. Those types of feelings coming out of everything. One thing that could keep them from the Super Bowl, their special teams. Somebody said that I think it was Ross Uglum tweeted out they're ranked 30th in special teams DVOA. That feels too high. If you told me they were ranked 32nd in special teams DVOA, I would tell you that feels too high. Can you remember a worst, excuse me, a worst special teams unit ever? No, I really can't. And I'm actually shocked to learn that they're not 32nd. Like I can't, who's they might be now. (laughs) They might be after Sunday's train wreck. (laughs) Like it's the worst special teams unit from the Packers of my lifetime, for sure. I mean, if you extend it to the 1980s and beyond that, I mean, I have never did. I've never dove into 1970s Packers special teams play, but that 2012 season where Crosby had the yips was bad, but it was pretty much isolated to Crosby. If I can remember correctly, where this year it's the kicking team, the punt team, the return team, it's everything. And I'm sure Maurice Drayton's a good guy, but it's his first season as head special teams coordinator. And it's a complete disaster. Like maybe if there were a decade long record of success that you could point to where you say, Hey, this is the guy I'll get it fixed. But without that, I think you just have to move on from Drayton. Like you might cost yourself a Super Bowl with this stuff. Last week was the Bears, and they were able to get away with some of it. What happens when you do this against the Rams, against the Bucks, against the Chiefs? Like you're not going to survive that. Oh, and you're going to play better teams when you get to that point uh, in the playoffs and in the in like Super Bowl type of situations. And you talk about you know Maurice Drayton. Anybody who listens to the show, you guys know me. I'm a firm believer: players play and coaches coach. But at the same time, your special teams unit last year was bad enough to where you wanted to fire the coordinator. And then you hire his understudy. I just, I don't understand how you thought that that would be the equivalent of firing Mike Pettin and then hiring with all due respect to him. He's a really good defensive line coach, but Jerry Montgomery to be your defense or firing Mike McCarthy and then hiring Joe Philbin. Like they talked about potentially doing, in 20 Ian, were you ever more afraid during that head coaching search than when Mark Murphy said Joe Philbin's a legitimate candidate? Oh, I was terrified. Like it was like, all right, well, this is the McCarthy era all over again. Right. And with all due respect to Mike, he was a good coach while he was here for quite some time, but there was a very legitimate point where it was like, okay, something's not working anymore. And it's probably time to move on. And you can make that argument as soon as what the 2015 loss to Arizona. If you want to make the argument during the 2014 championship game to Seattle, I'd listen, but yeah, the 2015 where they went 10 and six and they lost and like that team stunk after their six and zero start. It was that 2015 season where they played the Broncos and the offense broke after that, everything fell apart and it was clear that they needed to move on from McCarthy. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Dude. I would love to one day do a, like a NFL or what if I told you type situation where green Bay fires McCarthy after that 2015 season or 
if run the table never happens, like if the Packers go three and three down the stretch, McCarthy gets fired and they hire somebody out of that class of head coaches. I believe that year it would have been Kyle Shanahan is probably your likely uh, coaching candidate. It would have been a nice an interesting look at between them and, and San Francisco where Shanahan would have chosen uh, to go in that situation. But that's I, the special teams. I mean, you mentioned it. I have no comfort when Mason Crosby walks on the field. I have no comfort when Corey Bajorquez walks on the field and he's done a great job this year for the most part, but I have no faith that the punt isn't going to get blocked or returned. There hadn't been a punt return for a touchdown this season. And they had Jakeem Grant bottled up at the five yard line and he scored <laughs> like there's three guys around him and he scored. It's incredible to me how bad 90, he's dropped. 97 yard punt returns aren't supposed to happen. Like you're not supposed to touch no. the ball. Yard line. 40, 40 yard kickoff returns aren't supposed to happen. And they gave up three of those and kicked one out of bounds. And then you add in the fact that it doesn't like they drafted Amari Rogers thinking at minimum, this guy can stabilize our punt return unit. And I'm not saying he's never going to be good, but he's a train wreck. He's yeah, never I looked. Like, he, I like the Amari, Amari Rogers pick when it happened, but right now he's not an NFL player. Like, yeah, I mean, he's a rookie, but. It's not like the Packers are putting out world beaters at NFL and he's not getting playing time there. He's been a complete disaster as a punt returner. They invested a third round pick on him. So I don't think you can cut him, but maybe it's time to do the minor injury IR thing and give that roster spot to someone else for the playoffs. That's exactly what I would. I know I, I say Tyler Irvin, cause that's the only one I, the only return specialist I know that is currently a free agent, but you've got to find something. And I said, that's a position punt return specifically that Gutekunst has just failed on over and over and over again since he's been here. They've gone through Darius Shepard and Irvin kind of stabilized things for a little bit, but after Traymon Smith was back there for a little while, and then now you've got Amari Rogers and Tavon Austin. That was a exciting thing for a lot of draft Twitter folk, but that never really worked out all that much either. It's, it's to the point where I joke, but the Packers might be better off putting 11 guys on the line of scrimmage, trying to block it and let the punt fall where it may because I don't trust Amari Rogers to do something as simple as catch the ball. Like all I'm asking for, I'm not asking them to be Alan Rossum, not asking them to be Desmond Howard. Can you like the one he muffed and they got bailed out on by a penalty on Sunday. Nobody was around him. It's not like he had a dude right in front of him screaming in his face. It was, he had plenty of space. I even was asking, why are you fair catching? Cause you have room to run and he muffed it. And the next time he looks comfortable catching a punt in an NFL game, will be the first. And that goes back to the preseason when he was kind of like, you can always tell if somebody is doing the Peyton Manning, happy feet, trying to catch the ball thing, he's not comfortable. Think of it like watching an outfielder in the outfield that isn't that comfortable. Like, you know, a DH that is actually playing left field because he plays in the national league or something like that. That's the level of comfort that Amari Rogers has right now, returning punts. And it's a problem. Like you said, it's the only thing that kept the Bears in the game on Sunday. Otherwise, you're looking at 45-17 kind of game instead of a game that you're not really sweating, but you kind of were at the end versus, like I said, 45-17. So they got to get it figured out because Tampa, L.A., Dallas, Arizona, those teams are the ones you have to beat. And those are the teams that Green Bay has to be compared to. This is a Super Bowl or bust season. You cannot compare this team to, well, we won the NFC North. Cool. You should. This division stinks, which I'm not 100% sure how the Vikings are as bad as they are, but they are, and the Bears and the Lions are both dumpster fires. Somebody who's not 
is Preston Smith. And again, this is the Pick 6 Podcast. Jacob Westendorf joined by Ian Kenyon of Bleacher Report. Preston Smith was a guy that I think all of us had as like, well, Green Bay's got to make some moves with the salary cap. He's an easy quote-unquote cut. Preston Smith took a pay cut, and Aaron Rodgers talked about that a lot uh, in his interviews of just like what that means and how hard that is to swallow that pride. And I understand it. I'm not taking a pay cut at my job. No way in hell. I wouldn't expect Preston Smith to either. Weeks 10 through 14, this is per Jacob Morley of Packer Report. Preston Smith leads all edge rushers in the NFL with 29 total pressures. Considering he had a buy in that span, the other guys in the top five did not. That's incredibly impressive. And he had 25 pressures all of last season. Last year was a year where everybody would like, anything surrounding Preston Smith wasn't good. It was like, oh, he looks a little thicker coming into camp. He's a little chunky. Doesn't look as good. His effort level maybe isn't where it needs to be. And now you've got a group with him and Rashawn Gary, who is one of the tops in the entire NFL in terms of pressures all season with Zadarius Smith, potentially on the mend and coming back. Just talk to me about how surprising this is and, and what it's meant to this defense as a whole. Yeah, I'm very surprised. He's playing at a level that he hasn't played at probably since his first season in Green Bay. And I think some of this has to be just a motivated Preston Smith playing for his future, I would think. He's huge for their Super Bowl run, but there is a chance that he gets cut this year and he's a free agent. Or he could be playing for that $19 million payday next year that Green Bay owes him. Uh, I think that's, you know, a lot of it at this point is – he has a lot riding on this season and he's showing up like that's, that's the thing is he's been a elite level edge rusher this year. I saw Duroc Herrer tweet out that Preston's pressure rate this year is actually better than Zizel's was last year when he made the pro bowl, he's playing like a pro bowl caliber edge rusher and those guys get paid. Yeah, they do. And it's one of those guys that, you, know, you talk about the reshuffling of this roster and, and is that somebody that you, know, you talk to Aaron Rodgers about with his contract and everything. I was saying, Hey, probably can't keep Z and Preston. Preston's going to be a little bit cheaper. We can extend him, keep him. Cause you don't, what you don't want to do if you bring back Aaron Rodgers is going to next season with Rashawn Gary and Jonathan Garvin with all due respect to Garvin and Tipa Nalea and some of these other guys, they've kind of rotated through as their edge rushers. There was a rep on Sunday night where the Packers front four pass rushing group was Tyler Lancaster and TJ Slayton in the middle with Nalea and Garvin as their edge rushers. They just don't offer anything, uh, at least right now as NFL players. And I don't know if that's something that's ever going to change. Nalea was an undersized undrafted free agent. Garvin was a seventh round pick. He's young. Maybe there's something there, but I just don't know what to do, but Preston, he's been phenomenal. And it's a guy, he really has turned it on, especially, I mean, if you talk about, we talked about Jair Alexander's absence, Darius Smith played 18 snaps all season. If you'd have told me at the beginning of the year that was going to happen, I told you it's not quite a death sentence to this pass rush group, but it's not going to be as good as it is now. They're the best pass rush group in the league right now, statistically. And that's yeah. something that, and that's, sorry, uh, Gutekunst got a lot of criticism, you know, from myself included, but how big was Goot in those first few years securing Big Z, Preston Amos, and picking up Jair and Savage, you know, in those first, you know, two years? You could argue that that stretch is why they're here right now. And Rashawn Gary, you didn't even mention yeah. Gary in that stretch. And Gary was, I think when you talk about 
the most criticized before Jordan Love, <laughs> the most criticized move that Gutekunst had was taking Rashawn Gary. And there were guys there like Brian Burns. There were guys like Montez Sweat, uh, Noah Fant, DK Metcalf, just some a bunch of different guys that were available that maybe fit better or were bigger needs, whatever phrasing was used on the internet. And Gary, he see, it seems like you can pencil him in for five pressures a game. He had eight on Sunday night. No sacks, but if you're around, that's like the, the Kyler Fackrell thing, right? Where he had 13 sacks on 15 pressures in 2018. That's just not sustainable. But if you're around the quarterback a lot, those numbers are going to come. And I'm with you. That completely changed the outlook of this franchise. Nobody really likes to give Gutekunst credit. And I understand the Aaron Rodgers situation is at the forefront of that. And even if the Rodgers situation didn't exist, when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers on your team, it's again, I don't mean to keep making the comparison, but it's like having LeBron James. When they win, Rogers, James, whomever that great player is, is going to get all the credit. And when they lose, it's everyone around them stinks and, and needs to do better. But that Packers roster in 2018, McCarthy's last season, was terrible. I mean, it was Rogers, Adams, Bakhtiari, Jair was a rookie. Their pass rushers were Clay Matthews at the end of his career and Nick Perry, who hasn't been in the league since. And he gets, like you mentioned, Z, Preston, Billy Turner, who's been awesome when he's been healthy outside of that first season where he was an average guard until he got injured. And Amos is rock solid. Like, that's huge. And then you add in Jair, Savage, Elton Jenkins, Rashawn Gary. Eric Stokes even this year has been has been a fine for them so far. We'll see how their career, his career specifically pans out as a first-year player. This roster has gone from, man, if Aaron can play magic, man, not – that's an ode to Don Mikowski unintentionally, but if he can be like Superman, then this team could maybe win to where now they have won games where Rogers has not played well. And that's something, especially latter half of Mike McCarthy, Ted Thompson era that could not happen. If Rogers didn't play his best, the team loses. They've had situations this year. Rogers did not play his best against Seattle. For example, they win 17 to nothing. He's had other games like that this year where maybe hasn't played his best and they won. And I think that's a huge credit to Brian Kudekunst and being able to talk Preston Smith into a pay cut and kudos to Preston. Again, he deserves a lot of all, if not all of the credit for that situation, because that's tough, right? Asking to swallow your pride and take half of your salary and Hey, maybe you can earn it back, but maybe you can't kind of thing. That's tough to do. I understand that. Another guy who's had a tough stretch, Alan Lazard. I remember after the Rams game, I'm even kind of thinking to myself, I was like, man, is it really just time to maybe, do some more equanimity St. Brown, who's making a couple plays here or there. And just Lazard is, you know, you can't, it's tough to be the big possession receiver if you're not catching the ball. And he had a rough game against the Rams. He wasn't that good. Uh, he was injured. He had a couple uh, tough games against Seattle, and then he was injured for the uh, Minnesota game. And he had a good night. I mean, Alan Lazard is never going to be the Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb to Devontae Adams is current day Devonte Adams kind of thing, right? Like he's a solid role player. LaFleur talks about how good he is in the run game and how important he is for some of the other stuff they do. But if he can make those plays in the passing game, that makes this offense that much better because teams are more likely to forget about him. You look at last year against the Rams, the shot play that ended the game. They didn't throw that to Devonte Adams. They threw that to Alan Lazard and they really hit that play twice. Lazard just happened to drop one of them. He caught the one that ultimately mattered, but just talk to me about his big night and and just what he means to this offense, especially without Randall Cobb here going down the stretch. Yeah, we're on the same page. I wouldn't read into 
that game too much from a talent or, you know, is he going to become a star perspective? But more or less, I think he's the Cobb replacement with Cobb on IR. He was great in that big slot role. He got all the targets there this week that you typically see Cobb get. He's played that role in the past too, obviously, but I think that's the type of usage we'll see and should expect to see moving forward with Devontae and MVS on the outside, Lazard in the, in the middle, and Lazard getting you know a lot of those possession-type looks. And he has played that point very well. He's a capable player who can win those matchups from the slot, and Rodgers seems to trust him. Yeah, and they've essentially done they've done some stuff with Josiah Deguara, but the the tight end role that Robert Tunyon was playing has kind of been taken by by Lazard as well, which has been interesting to watch because he's bigger and faster than a lot of those tight ends are going to be, maybe not bigger, but certainly faster than some of those tight ends are going to be in that role. So I'm excited for him. I hope he's able to uh, stack those successes, which Matt Lafleur kind of almost said in his press conference and then smiled. I think he realized what he was about to say. I love how aware. LaFleur is of stuff like that. Uh, he kind of smiled at Bill Huber once when he said statistics are for losers. That's an old McCarthyism and, and Bill is the stat guy on the beat. So that's funny. I enjoy that. Uh, but Lazard is, is somebody that I think can have a big impact on this team. And you're not asking him again. You don't need him to be seven catches for a hundred yards and two touchdowns in a game, because this offense is going to run through Devonte Adams first and foremost, and then their backs, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. But you need a couple of those guys just make a play here or there. Like Green Bay could have won an NFC. If Adams and Rodgers play their normal standard, they got that other guy, if you will, with MBS having the best game of his career in last year's NFC Championship game. A play here or there from Tunyon. A play here or there from Lazard. Now this year you're asking for the same idea from Rodgers and Adams and Jones and Dylan, but a play here or there from Lazard. A play here or there from Randall Cobb. A play here or there from MBS, DeGuerra, all those guys. I just said DeGuerra and I made fun of Chris Collinsworth for that all night. DeGuerra, Josiah DeGuerra. Those are all guys that I think you're asking your role players. It's very similar to an NBA situation. Ian, are you up? No, you're a Timberwolves fan. I'm sorry, but all right. So it's like when they had, I was going to use a Bucks reference, but since you're a T-Wolves fan, it's like Kevin Garnett and Wally Zerbiak are your best players. Like they were in the early two thousands. You're asking Sam Cassell and, that's about where my knowledge of that team ends, but players like that to just make a couple shots. That's all you're asking yep. for. Can they make a couple shots with Lazard and MVS and players, their role players like that while you let your stars lead the way. And that's really what the big games are about. Do your stars play their best games? Tampa Bay last year is a very good example. Tom Brady plays well through most of the playoffs. Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul and Dominic Sue, Devin White, guys like that. Green Bay's best players need to play well when it gets to that time. Yeah, what, what you need from Lazard is four catches for 50 yards, five catches for 50 yards, four catches for 40 yards, those types of stat lines. You don't need them to be eight for 90 and a touchdown. That's reserved for Devontae. Otherwise, Lazard's role is just make a big play on third down. That's all you need. Yep. Yeah, and he did that enough last year to keep defenses honest. MBS, kind of the same thing, and I think you can see – stuff like that moving forward. We're going to move into our final topic. Before we do that, I want to remind you guys to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Game On Wisconsin's YouTube channel. When we hit 1,000 subscribers, we are giving away a signed jersey by Preston Smith. So if you are subscribed, let us know. Send some proof of that. We'll put you in a drawing, and you will have an opportunity to win a signed Preston Smith jersey here. I am on the Pick 6 Podcast. I'm Jacob Westendorf, again joined by Ian Kenyon. Packers and Ravens. 
I think when you went to December at the beginning of the year, you would have said this is the toughest game on the schedule. Do you still feel like that's the toughest game left on the schedule, knowing what we know? Let's assume for the sake of this discussion that Lamar Jackson is, in fact, going to play. I would say yes, only because it's on the road. I would say the Browns are a better team right now, but that game is in Green Bay. So I would say that traveling to Baltimore is probably the toughest game that they have left. Yeah, them or Minnesota, for some weird reason, Matt LaFleur owns the division. Like he's never lost a game to the Bears and the Lions, but he's lost two to Minnesota. And I don't understand how that is, but it is. So maybe that would be one. Um, but I'm with you that I think Baltimore is the toughest game left there. I know they're missing a bunch of guys. They're well coached. John Harbaugh is one of the best coaches in football. You guys know me. I, I have a lot of respect for the Harbaugh family in general as coaches go. Lamar Jackson's an MVP. I know that people like to claim he's overrated. I don't understand how a former league MVP is, is in fact overrated, but whatever that, that is the case, but they're missing so many guys Ian. like they're past their cornerback, like Marlon Humphrey injured. They're just missing so many dudes on that defense. That is it's tough. It's gritty. It's hard nosed, but it's just, it feels like they're outgunned. That's exactly why I said, I think the Browns are probably the better team right now, because right now, the Ravens are without Marlon Humphrey. They're without Marcus Peters. You're going to have Devontae Adams lining up on third, fourth, fifth cornerbacks for them. It's going to – Green Bay should be able to easily put up 30 points. And I think the Ravens are in a tough spot because they don't have the rushing prowess that they've had in the past. Like the Ravens had legitimate running backs in the past. They could run these read option RPOs with Lamar. And if defenses had to account for Lamar, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards – while also defending, you know, Marquise Brown and um, Mark Andrews. Now it seems like teams are basically daring Lamar to beat him with his arms and saying like, hey, you can run all day with Devontae Freeman and Latavius Murray. I mean, go for it, but we're not going to let Lamar throw for 300 and run for another 100. And you've seen Lamar struggle in recent weeks. Like he can't find open receivers as a result. His passing, his passing efficiency has fallen off a cliff. He's thrown three touchdowns six interceptions in his last three games leading into last week. And I just think Green Bay is going to be able to figure that out and win this game by two scores. Yeah, now they're now he's hobbled. He's playing with a, a sprained yeah. ankle. And, and you mentioned that J.K. Dobbins, so, he's much like the Bosa family, have solely existed to torment me. I think J.K. Dobbins ran for like 700 yards in two games against Michigan while he was in college. So I've watched him run all over my favorite team's defenses before – He's not going to play. You mentioned Gus Edwards. He's not going to play. And Lamar Jackson, I, I understand why fans are worried. I think that's Colin Kaepernick, Russell Wilson, PTSD. But if he's hobbled, and you mentioned has some issues with turning the ball over, this is a Packers defense that turns you over and is able to make those big plays, and they don't turn the ball over. Like, again, knock outside of – I think somebody said today they've turned the ball over like seven times total – since the first game of the season where they turned it over three times. That's incredible to me, just how well they take care of them. And that's got to do some, obviously, with the least turnover-prone quarterback in the history of the NFL, but they don't fumble. They don't, well, other than on special teams, I guess they do. But on the offensive side of the ball, they just don't give the ball away. And I just, the only way, I see this game very similarly to the way that I see last week's game, except for the fact that the Ravens, even with their injuries, are more talented than the Bears in that, Ian, you know the deal. You're a Badger fan. We'll forgive you for that on this particular show. But you've watched the Iowa Hawkeyes play. 
Iowa has to turn games into a rock fight in order to win them. And they're very successful at it. I don't completely understand how, but they are very successful at it. And in their good years, they win 11 rock fights and lose one. And this particular year, they won 10 of those and lost two. That is how I think that Baltimore has to win this game, where they run the ball 30 times between Jackson and their backs. They get Rodgers and company to turn the ball over a couple times and make a few big plays through the air when you catch the team by surprise. I just... Green Bay's defense, I, I guess I didn't ask this, and it's not part of the topic, but do you think that Green Bay's defense is legitimate? Do you think they're for real? Uh, where are you at on, on that unit? I do, and you kind of brought it up. I know Dom Capers and Mike Petten aren't there anymore, but I'll forever have an unnerving fear of mobile QBs facing Green Bay after those years. But this is not that team, and this is Joe Barry is not those guys. I think this defense can stop. Lamar Jackson can stop this Baltimore Ravens team. I do think this defense is for real. Um, And I think Baltimore's key is going to be getting into positive game script where they don't have to throw the ball. They can kind of mix it up, control the clock. If Green Bay does score, you know, early and often and takes, you know, a 21-3 lead, 21-7 lead, and Lamar has to become, you know, more one-dimensional and they can't control the clock, that's where the game gets out of hand for them. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think Baltimore is in trouble because I know Green Bay has started slow pretty much all season, but it just feels like they, I don't know, they have a knack for bouncing back from that. And at some point, you know, after the game script, that's where coaching takes over, talent takes over, and the Packers are just simply more talented right now. And you add in the fact that the teams that have succeeded against Matt LaFleur and Green Bay are teams that have answers for their best players. Now, the Bucs were able to put physical corners on Devontae Adams and roll people over and kind of take him away as much as you can that way. And they have those two stud linebackers that slow down that running game uh, with the, obviously, Vita Vea and Ndamukong Su and that front that they have where <laughs> I think I've joked in the past, I think Tampa Bay could go a legitimate too deep on their front seven. And it's incredible how, how good they are and how talented they are on that side of the ball. Tom Brady really does never catch a break, does he? Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> I guess kudos to him. He picked that team. So that's up to him. But Baltimore doesn't have that. They don't have Marlon Humphrey to match up with Devontae Adams. They don't have anybody to match up with Devontae Adams. They don't have the guys in the deep part of the secondary to slow down Marquez Valdez Scantling. And they don't stop the run all that well with AJ Dillon coming to town. And AJ Dillon is a guy who he is Jake Morley describes him as bring your own block type of running back. Like you don't have to have that run blocked up very well for AJ Dillon. And he's gaining four yards of crack. And that's all green Bay is asking for from their running game is be efficient enough to keep us in positive down and distances and able to push the ball down the field. And they've been able to do that throughout the course of the season, even without a rushing attack, like last year's rushing attack was better than this year's for green Bay because they had three first team, all pro offensive linemen running across from left to center. And then a, pretty good right guard last season in Lucas Patrick where he played well and Billy Turner who had a really good season. Now they're playing five backups and still finding a way to get it done. I, whatever they're paying Adam Stenovich is not enough in green Bay at this point. So I'm at the final point here. That is the prediction. You said green Bay by two scores uh, who makes, who do you think has to have like the biggest game for green Bay to, to match that prediction? Well, Aaron Rodgers is the obvious answer, but I would say Devontae Adams. I think Devontae has to have, you know, a 140-yard two-touchdown game for them to win by two scores. But I think that's 
definitely in the realm of possibility given the state of the Ravens secondary. I am, I'm with you on that. I think that's a big one. The one I'm actually going to go with is Devondre Campbell. Uh, I watched the way, if you kind of watch the way he played against Arizona, where Green Bay's pass rush was very focused on keeping him in the pocket. And that's not to say Murray can't beat you with his arm, but they didn't want him getting out of the pocket and creating plays with his legs. And something they did was they kind of kept Campbell in the middle to spy on him a little bit. And he's athletic enough, and Campbell's been a revelation. We didn't even talk about him earlier when we talk about the job Brian Gutekunst has done. But Campbell is a Pro Bowl caliber player for $2 million. So kudos to that. I think he has to have a big game. He had a big game on Sunday, uh, led the team in tackles, just got back on Friday. So you've seen guys be a little bit slowed off of the COVID list. And having been through that myself, I understand how I didn't feel like myself for probably another week or so after that. So he'll be another week removed from his COVID diagnosis. And I think able to slow those guys down a little bit on that side of the ball. But I too, I like Green Bay. I, I think they went 27-17. I think it's a two-score kind of game. And and Green Bay is on their path to the one seed. That's my next question, Ian. It's kind of a bonus, if you will, is does Green Bay end up finishing the job and getting that one seed? All they got to do is win the rest of their games to do that. I think so. I don't see a game on their schedule that they're going to lose. I think they'll beat you know, the Vikings at home, Browns at home. I mean, Lions are a pushover at this point. So it's really more of this game. And I think they will handle this one by two scores. So should be theirs. And, and you mentioned the Lions. That Lions game became, quote unquote, easier with them getting their first win. If they were playing that game fighting against history, I think they're more willing to not lie down. And I don't think they'll lie down completely. Dan Campbell, for all the jokes and stuff that are made, he does have that team playing hard. They're just not very good. I think he'll keep them in that game for about a half before they decide the golf course and the beach in Miami is not that far away. So we'll be able to get to this once this game is over, but I'm with you. I think if they beat Baltimore, that's the toughest game left on their schedule. I think they will be in a tough game against Minnesota, but it's in green Bay. And just, there were so many things that had to go right for Minnesota to win that game in Minnesota that I just, the law of averages tell you that's not going to happen this time around when they have to play them uh, the day after new year's. The only thing that would derail the number one seed at this point is Roger's toe. If something happens with this toe situation, he has to miss a game. Otherwise, they should be able to wrap it up. Yeah, and I know it's kind of a gross way to look at things, but this is the reality of the NFL is, is with COVID. You saw the NFL has put like 75 players on the COVID list in the last two days. Devontae's already had it. Rodgers has already had like their most important players have already missed games because of the virus to where – even if it was somebody, and I'm not going to name anybody specifically just because I don't want to speak that into the air. I don't hope anybody gets the virus, obviously, uh, but they're not going to be able to miss. They're not going to miss guys that are the most important to their team because of something that's frankly relatively uh, out of their control for the most part. And I'll leave it at that. We're out of time. I want to thank you guys for listening to the Pick 6 Podcast. I'm Jacob Wester. If you could follow me on Twitter at Jacob Wester. If you could follow everything we do at Game on Wisconsin, at Game on WI on Twitter. We have Facebook, Instagram, and on our YouTube channel, like I mentioned, go subscribe to the channel and you'll have an opportunity to win a Preston Smith jersey that is signed by Preston Smith. As of right now, right this very second, we are at... 943 subscribers. So we are 57 subscribers away from 1000 and an opportunity for you to win that Jersey. Maybe a great little Christmas present here at the end, as we get to the holiday season here, he's Ian Kenyon, Ian, let us know where we can find you and what you're doing. 
You can find me at Ian Kenyon NFL on Twitter. So check him out there. And then, like I mentioned, he's at Bleacher Report. So you'll find some stuff there. Great follow. Uh, not just NFL, but music takes in general are usually pretty good on, on that front of things. So uh, let me ask one more question there. So I asked about old uh, Metallica albums. What's the best rock album you have heard this year? Neradius by Chevelle would be my number one this year, followed by Welcome to Horrorwood by uh, Ice Nine Kills. I think I mentioned this to you on Twitter. Have you heard the new Beartooth album? I have. It's excellent. It's yeah, very- that's that is my choice. Uh, Chevelle is on my bucket list for people I haven't seen in concert as somebody I have to go see. Um, but it's incredible to me about some of these groups from like, I think you were talking about um, Rage Against the Machine, Kill Switch Engage, like yeah. bands like that that were popular when I was a kid that are still putting stuff out. It's it's a fun little watch uh, for everything they got going on. And and who knows with 2022 and, and the vaccines and everything like that, hopefully there's uh, some opportunities for some live music. I know I got a notification not that long ago. Uh, Shinedown is playing in Green Bay. So I don't know how you feel about them, but I believe they're headed to Minnesota as well with uh, the pretty reckless. So if you're into Taylor Momsen and, and Brent Smith, then then that might be something for you that are listening to that. But I'll stop boring you guys with that. Packers Ravens Sunday, 325 kickoff. We're getting into the down, uh, the, the nitty gritty here, the last part of the season. I will be back next week previewing Packers Browns with Jeff Lloyd of Lockdown Browns. So be sure to listen into that. Until then, he's Ian. I'm Jacob. See you guys next week. Go Pack.